Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to the AEW Dynamite Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by one of the Dadly Boys, Michael Sidgwick from What Culture, to review everything that happened on last night's episode of AEW Dynamite Blood and gut spot before we get into it if you're a fan of this sort of thing make sure you subscribe to what called wrestling on either itunes spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts where we not only review aw dynamite but also aw rampage raw smackdown nxt2 but oh pay-per-views premium live events we have interviews roundtable discussions and a round of the week complete with a mega quiz of course on wrestle culture as i said joined by michael sidrick michael hamlet unfortunately off doing an egg and spoon race today so it's just going to be me and Sige talking about Dynamite, which was obviously dominated, Sige, by blood and guts. Yeah. My succinct take, and don't worry, I will delve details-wise into it imminently because there wasn't much on the undercard to discuss, is that, again, less so than last year, this was a very, very, very good match that I couldn't help but admire the graft, the commitment, the sacrifice that went into it. That was fundamentally flawed Mm -hmm. in more than one way. And yet, it was also, by the finish, a deft. Mm. So there was so much to admire. I think once the dust settles, people will think, you know what, that finish was so good that it will be remembered as a really inspired bit of storytelling and provided the next chapter of said story is as good as we think it could be then it will be considered blood and guts on the whole as a worthwhile um, memorable thing but there was there was just a lot of problems i had with it and looking at the general consensus online i don't think there's a single person who's outright said one of the best TV matches of all time. Mm-hmm. An absolutely incredible, flawless experience that I was just taking my shirt off, standing and pacing, hooping and hollering, fist in the air. The problem, of which there were quite a few, is that I spent quite a bit of blood and guts thinking about, oh, do I like this? Or, oh, what's going on underneath the roof of the cage? And it just gave me too many moments to think about things when realistically I just want to be grabbed by the goddamn walls mm. and just taken <laughs> on this violent, violent ride. And the structure, the layout, the, the story, it just made me think 
and I wanted to feel to use Hamlet's old thing. And ultimately, that's Anakin the Arena, which was a kind of a far superior match in my opinion. Mm-hmm. At no point was I worried about what was going on. Or was I thinking, hang on, how long have you been selling here? Mm-hmm. It was an absolute masterpiece throughout which I was just completely gripped into it, losing my mind with excitement, genuinely stunned by the level of violence. And it was a perfectly crafted thing that didn't feel remotely crafted. This felt like, oh, like I don't know. It was an Excellent, very good to excellent match, some of which was amazing, but we'll get into it later and go through this bloody undercard. What did you think of it? Yeah, I've got to agree with you, really. I thought it was obviously an improvement on on last year in terms of just the overall experience. I think last year there were some great moments, but it's completely overshadowed, obviously, by the finish. Um, And I've vastly improved this this year's finish, I thought. I thought it was really a real nice touch, that, because I didn't see that coming. Um... But yeah, there was a bit of me watching this, like you say. I thought initially, oh, have I just become really desensitized to all this sort of thing? And no, you're right. What you and Andy have said in the office this morning, I think you're right. I think it's just it's a bit of a flawed concept. Like I don't. Andy was saying this morning. In reality, there's probably only like four or five really good war games matches in history. You're right. I enjoyed it. There are spots that were incredible uh, and visceral and what have you. But I spent a lot of this, not a lot, I spent some of the match, which, like you say, think not feel. I was doing match admin in my head, going, All right, how long's that been going on for, blah, 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 who's going to come in next? And uh, some, some people's arrivals in the match, and we'll get to yeah. Eddie Kingston's, were sensational. But yeah, I had a great time watching it, but I thought I saw your tweet this morning. I thought it summed it up perfectly, which is the next time there is a big multi-man feud, rivalry, whatever you want to call it, we'll sit in this room and me, you, and Hamlet will not say, is this heading to blood and guts? It's heading to Anarchy in the Arena. I think you're right. It's, it's superseded it. Anarchy in the Arena was a far better match. It's a far better concept. Um, I still maintain that there is a magic AEW blood and guts match if they are um, self-aware enough to recognize the flaws, mm. surely they realize, hang on, like the reception isn't what it was anywhere near Anarchy in the Arena towards which everyone was just glowing with praise. So hopefully they'll take some of it on board. And I've got a few improvements to suggest as we go into the match later on in the pod. Right, let's start at the beginning of the show, though. Like you said, it opened uh, with Ethan Page versus Orange Cassidy. Uh, Orange Cassidy's got a new theme. Jefferson's. Oh, my God. This is his old indie theme. Yeah. Uh, the rights to which were quite difficult to even negotiate, let alone pay for. But apparently the work's been done in the background. And again, it's it's a literal investment in the character. When Jungle Boy first got Baltimore, you were thinking, right, they're, they're really going to do something with Jungle Boy because they are literally investing in him. Not just time, not just TV time, but with a not inconsiderable sum of money. And in a really cool, like, milestone stat, it was the January 5th, 2021 dark, where Jungle Boy first came out Mm. to Tarzan Boy by Baltimore. And Taz wasn't, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Enamored? No, 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 he was certainly enamored. Okay. He wasn't uh, hip to it. 
Okay. He didn't know it was happening, but right. he hadn't been smartened up. Yeah, That's the rest. In or, yeah, yeah, yeah. He yeah, wasn't yeah. smartened up to it. I was trying to think of the wrestling parlance just to be a asshole. <laughs> and uh, he went, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> I forgot about that. Uh, yeah. Oh, oh, oh. I love this song. I love this song. And like Excalibur popped. He's like, yeah, it's his new theme. <laughs> that was January 5th, 2021 episode of Dark. What happened on January 5th, 2022? On Dynamite, the TBS debut. Jungle Boy won his first title in ah. AEW literally a year to the day when they gave him the financial investment of a licensed theme and which doubled not only as a thing to sing along, but as a as a cue for you to really invest in Jungle Boy. Ah. So it's just I love licensed themes. They are cool. Yes. They are so much better than literally anything WWE does right now. And it's also like a little hint of right, pay attention to, to what's mm. going on here because this is like time to really push so I think Cassie's getting a push. And what a song Jane is as well. It's yeah. just absolutely incredible. Some, a great rock singer with a great rock voice. Just belting it out. Very rare. great little sting as well. Yeah, it's very rare that you It needs go. to be louder, sorry. It yeah, needs it to be does. louder. I agree with that. But it's very rare that you go, yeah, enough of the pixies. <laughs> like, how mad is that? Something like that? But yeah, in, in, terms of, in terms of themes, like, it, I mean, AEW could probably do just have... I mean, they create good themes on their own. So, like you say, it's already they've already won against WWE. Who I reckon you could point to half the roster and say to me and you, "What's their theme?" And I can't. No idea. It's pathetic. It's absolutely pathetic. The things they've built their promotion on, the way in which they literally won wrestling, they've just completely lost. It's one of the point. One of many reasons why the Royal Rumble this year was so dreadful. Oh, it's a terrible but, show. But it's just it's such an open goal. I just don't know why they do it. And maybe the money's tight. I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, before the match started, though, you had Ethan Page coming out, flanked, of course, by Dan Lambert with a bottle of orange juice, of course. Uh, and he cuts this promo talking about, you know, how, how puny, basically, Orange Cassidy is and you could never stack up to a heavy like heavyweight like Ethan Page. Uh, and then he points out that the best friends who are in these ridiculous, like, tie-dye outfits. Have you got manager's license? Because if you haven't, piss off from ringside, basically. And unfortunately, I think it was Bryce Remsburg had to kick him out. As much as I quite like that, it opens up a whole can of worms of what have you been doing for the past three years then? Yeah. Have these people just been floating around without manager's license? Are you telling me that it's a contrived means of doing a post-match brawl? Didn't like that. The uh, American Psycho meme or gif that's been doing the rounds of like... And you also forget something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so then we got Orange Cassidy versus Ethan Page. Uh, early on, Ethan Page is like, go on, do your stupid bloody hands in pockets stuff then. Get this crap over so I can kick your head in. Orange immediately does it. Hits a tope suicida. Uh, hits an or- a diving crossbody. Only gets a one count, though, and Page cuts him off. Big shoulder block. And he takes the piss out of him. Hits him with slams. Hits him with suplexes. That takes us to the break. When we come back, uh, Orange uh, eats a high kick and a twisting brain buster for two. A page lifts him up for the old ego's edge, but Orange oh, struggles a few times and then finally gets his hands in his pockets, uh, reverses a second attempt at into a Hurricane Rana, goes up top, but Lambert distracts him, and that allows Page to fight back and hit a power slam for two. Um, page goes for a brain buster, but Orange counters it into that uh, stunner package. What's it called? Not Stumdog Millionaire, is it? It's the 
The flipping stunner thing that he does. Uh, spinning DDT, that gets him a near fall. Goes to the orange punch, but again, Lambert jumps up on the apron. So Orange comes over and does these lazy strikes to him. Takes his orange juice uh, and spits it in Lambert's face before hitting two orange punches and something you've been going through all throughout the match, which I know you liked. A body slam in Detroit for the win. Yeah, the Detroit thing is key because obviously the um, City played host to WrestleMania 3, Hulk Hogan's most famous match, which was built around the fact that could he or couldn't he um, body slam Andre the Giant. So for Cassidy to do this with a much larger opponent than Ethan Page in Detroit of all places, knowing full well that Cassidy is considered this sacrilegious figure who breaks kayfabe, even though he really doesn't at all, but idiots think he does. Mm. So for him to do the most... I think a lot of old-school wrestling fans who just think, like, oh, it looks fake now. Well, you're watching Hulk Hogan. Yeah. Who literally shook his head from side to side like a dog who's just had a bath <laughs> is a means of trying to draw power from mm. the audience. Like, do you see a boxer doing that? Do you see an, an MMA fighter doing that? Do you see a kickboxer doing that? Do you <laughs> see... Uh, it's just ridiculous, and he knows it's ridiculous. So him working, uh, in, like, the platonic ideal of a wrestling match in the minds of certain wrestling fans, because they always go, because I think Meltzer famously went, like, minus four stars for Hogan versus Andre. Really? Go on, um, I'll find it out, Google yeah. WrestleMania 3 Pro Fight DB, rather than going through the Observer archives. Telling me that they're not that organized sometimes. I think he went minus four or minus three. Minus four. One star, it says here. All right. I thought it was a minus. Maybe that was another. Got more of his. I'll have a see, see if I can get some more of his matches on here. No, no, no. Okay, I'll go with one star. I've usually got this weird... I've got no memory, basically. I'm, I've got a terrible memory, but I'm usually great with Meltzer star ratings for whatever reason. But if he's gone with one, it's still like... It still works for what I'm about to say because ultimately people will say something to the effect of how can it be considered a remotely bad match? Yes, the action was terrible, but that completely and utterly betrays the point of what a pro wrestling match is meant to do, which is um, connect on an emotional level with fans, mm. and this was um, in front of the largest wrestling crowd or one of the largest wrestling crowds ever. It was incredibly heated throughout. They never lost the audience, and they just built it with one simple story beat. Does Hulk Hogan have the resolve to body slam the biggest man in the world who's never been slammed before, which is all bollocks, but no one knew this at the time because there was no internet and all the rest of it. Like, obviously, some people knew. There was hardcore fans back then, but, you know, it was much different. Every, like, most everyone in that stadium thought that Andre had never been slammed. Yeah. And it was the, it's considered the ultimate beauty of pro wrestling because it was a simple story beat, universal. Everyone could follow it. They thought it couldn't be done. It was the ultimate stakes for the title. Can you win the title by doing something no mere mortal has ever done? In doing so, Hulk Hogan becomes immortal. It's... Simple, basic, pro-wrestling perfection, right? Orange Cassidy did it in this match, and he's considered this, like, massive, transgressive disruptor <laughs> of professional wrestling. And the fact that he did it in Detroit, and you simply, he, he does things that you can't criticize. Yeah. Like, almost as a joke, but it still worked in the context of this match because Ethan Page is a big guy. Um, 
Casting's so good at storytelling that he got the audience, a very desensitized 2022 audience, to pick up on and look forward to that story beat and get a huge bap when he eventually did the body slam. So this was like a really cute meta joke that wasn't too clever for its own good because the actual, even if you didn't get the joke, if you've never watched WrestleMania 3 somehow or didn't get the Detroit stuff, it still doubled as this really nice, beautiful, simple pro wrestling match. The pace and the moves in which were like far more suited to modern audiences than anything from 1987. So I really, really enjoyed this. Um, I also really, really enjoyed Dan Lambert in this context, yeah. i.e. not with a woman he can slut shame, um, standing by... That would um, come later. That would come later, yeah. Not from Dan Lambert. Not from Dan Lambert, no, from the other guy who um, <laughs> is a complete um, tit sometimes. There was a bit when Casty was like really on the crest of his comeback and uh, Lambert's losing his mind on the outside and he's off camera, but you can hear him, which makes it funnier because it just makes it more feel more real. Yeah. But like the camera's not pointed to him, but you can still hear him, which makes it feel like he's just involved in every second and it just helps the immersion. He says, uh, what does he say? Come on, Ethan, the guy looks like he's 14 years old. <laughs> and it's just, he's so wound up by Cassidy. Um, genuinely a really inspired pairing, mm. Cassidy and Lambert. So much so that you don't, you wonder why they haven't been there before. Mm. And just one wider note on this, because the match was just like a gentleman's three, but in the best way. Yeah. Um, they added a bit of context as to why this match is happening. And I know that I sometimes say it's episodic to a fault. You can sometimes just do a banger. makes things feel less contrived if you just present them as fixtures. But I just think it answers a criticism of late where it's like, right, okay, this match was great to do on Dynamite, but was there any real reason for it to exist? Um, There was a very good reason for this to exist. It doesn't have to be the start of a seven-month Orange Cassidy versus Men of the Air program. Hopefully it isn't. But sometimes a bit of context. Context, good contrivance bad yeah. and this is for like a nice bit of context to just deepen the emotional stakes and I think people were really really into it as a result plus you just reminded me of that great thread from Alan Cheapshot on Twitter of all Hulk Hogan's lies oh my, over the years oh my God, which includes yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I was the first person to slam Andre, and I tore 15 muscles in my back, and Andre died the next day. Yeah. What are you talking about, Hulkster? That's one of my favourite lies because it's just, all of them are like so provably false. Um, so that one's good because it's like, uh, I feel bad, but you know, I know that the strength of Hulkamania ultimately killed Andre the Giant, but, uh, yeah, I shouldn't be so strong, should I? <laughs> Do you want my I'm simply so hard that I killed him. Sorry. He's what? essentially after making to manslaughter, yeah. except he didn't because he died, what, like six years later? Yeah, many, many years later. Many, many years. There's, there's so many good ones on there. There's the, the, like... Him saying, oh, yeah, Darren Aronofsky wanted me in The Wrestler. Darren Aronofsky's like, oh, I said that. Yeah. There's the one where I think he either was either offered to be involved in or helped create the UFC or something like that. Or another really good one is the one where he partied with John Belushi after one of the manias. It was like he'd been dead for like two years, wherever that yeah, happened. Yeah. But my favorite, by a country mile, is the, I wrestled uh, 400 days. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I wrestled 400 days in a year. Because <laughs> if you fly to Japan in America, back and forth between Japan and America, as often as I did, you actually bend the space-time continuum <laughs> yeah. and create more days in the year. <laughs> not thinking. If anything, not like, if anything, the travel time 
is wasted time. So you yeah. have fewer days on which to well, rest. It's just the, yeah, it's the concept of, I get it, If you, there's some places you can fly. I don't know which way it goes around, but there's some places you can fly and you take off, let's say you take off at midday here in the UK, and then you land there, and it's 11 a.m. there. Yeah. But then when you come back, it's not like you go, well, I guess I found time travel. Mad bastard. Anyway, um, speaking of mad bastards, let's talk about Christian oh, Cage. Man, yeah. How do you follow up last week's promo? You do this. Uh, he comes out, uh, and Tony Schiavone says, oh, here we are. Well, I don't know how you followed last week. And Christian Cage just took the mic off him and was like, well, first of all, you're a bitch. Uh, yeah. And then you know, he actually said, uh, I was asked by management to come out and apologize for what I said last week. And if you missed last week, yeah, just I don't know how. Um, he talked about Jungle Boy's late father, of course. And he said, Jungle Boy, I'm sorry. Sorry your entire family isn't dead. <laughs> so they didn't have to watch you, basically. Uh, and he said, oh, uh, no, I shouldn't say that. I am, I don't mean everyone in your entire family. Your mum's all right. And he does a little call me symbol to the, oh, my huge bear. Huge the world, papa, world my God, what a heel. Uh, he comes out, slags off Detroit. Like, it's low-hanging fruit, but I do like, the only thing Detroit's good for is it's close to Canada. <laughs> and then he says, look, you may have heard that I've requested a match this week, but he's in that amazing outfit. The, the turtleneck is mwah, absolutely sensational. He says, I've requested a match this week, but it's not for me. And out comes Hideki. Uh, <laughs> no, evil Luchasaurus. He's been brainwashed by Christian Cage, and he then proceeded to murder Serpentico. He headbutted him straight away. Uh, German suplex, face buster, and he, he looks like he's going for the snare trap, but it's sort of like a snare trap nerve hold that gets the submission within. Pure. Within like 45 seconds or something mad. Uh, Post match, he chokeslams a little twerp out on the floor as well at Christian's yeah, behest. That vicious ass. <laughs> I love a brainwashed dinosaur. I, I'm not sure I do. I'm seriously not sure that I do. Look, if anyone get it over, Cage can. You have to do something with this. Um, I think the idea being that if you have Christian Cage feud with two guys, that's weird because it just throws the baby face heel dynamic all the way off. You could simply sideline Luchasaurus for a bit. Um, the argument being that, you know, he's a, a novelty act that never gets old, except they've kind of been pushing it a little bit recently. Like, he's kind of done everything he can do. He can't, like, train harder and work through it. So he has to kind of turn heel. Like, it's character development, but it just, it, there's, like, a context collision here that I can't really escape. I think one development undermines um, the other. Like the tone they've struck in this Christian Cage Jungle Boy feud is genuinely, oh my god, pretty dark material. Um, the fans are absolutely on the hook for this. It feels like legitimately really, really, really serious stuff. Um, Christian Cage is going to places that like very few people have gone in AEW. Like only the worst scoundrels in pro wrestling history go. Um, he's just sort of transformed in this. Ab- like he's always been a great heel, but in the AEW universe, he's transformed in this incredible. Dickhead, like almost overnight to the point where a lot of people are debating whether he should actually be saying this stuff. Ultimately, it's pro wrestling. He's heating them, heating this up beautifully as the old pro that he is. This is a very, very human feud at this point, right? A very human feud, right? <laughs> Emphasis on human. So bringing in like a, ma- a man who thinks he's a literal creature um, who no longer exists <laughs> is too wacky. I yeah. think it undermines the whole thing. I get it, yeah. Um, I just... 
I understand that Jungle Boy might be out for quite some time. They have to link somehow the fact that Christian Cage is going to be his first opponent when he comes back. And the presence of Luchasaurus will serve as a constant reminder that of who Christian Cage is, why he's turned into this, and who should be the one to ultimately kick his ass and give vengeance and catharsis. But it's just, it's wacky and it just undermines it. But I, I understand it to a certain extent because the thing he said last week was like, fed up of having to wrestle matches. So, of course, then you make the, the Christian yes, Cage that's thing. that's a great point. That's a great special. point. It's just oh, that makes me like it a little bit Yeah, more. I mean, don't careful because I'm about to get something that's going to really piss you off in a second. But a um, couple of things. Number one, my wife, Anna Louise, very casual AEW fan. I keep her, you know, up to date on stuff. I've got a story about this afterwards, right? Amazing. So last week, so I, I obviously, I, in the worst possible way, I adored Christian Cage's promo last week. And a lot of times I go, oh, I'd love if you've seen this. And she doesn't care because she's not really. And I just play him the bit where he's like talking about his dad. And Anna Louise was just like, is that? And, uh, you know, I was like, yep. She was like, re- genuinely shoot pissed off with him. So that, that you yeah. know, that, that, when you say about should he be saying this stuff, I mean, in terms of you couldn't get more of a casual AW fan than my missus. And that really, she's suddenly very invested yeah. in this. Also, Fantasy booking. If we are going, if we aren't going to have, we should have the the correct feud, like you say, Christian Cage, Jungle Boy. But you want to go down the wacky route. Jungle Boy returns. Christian Cage is like, you versus me and this big bastard. Turn it in. And in one of the great lines from Batman, if you remember, Jungle Boy is going to say, you know what killed off the dinosaurs, the Ice Age, and then Glacier comes out to attack with him. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I like that. I do like that. Oh, I thought you were going to piss you off. That's good. That's good. That's good. On the subject of the wrestling boys and their wives, I don't know why that's a theme yeah. series. Yeah, they love naps and they occasionally watch <laughs> yeah. wrestling. So right, I'm watching Forbidden Door. It's just the best, and I'm watching the the Sting party match, and I'm thinking, you know what? I'm going to show James this. Oh. It's just so much fun. He doesn't really. He's never really connected with pro wrestling. Um, he's like he's just into football. It's just he's absolutely loving his football, and like. My wife is never, ever connected with wrestling at all. I thought, you know what, I'm going to show her, because I, it was right about the time it actually happened. I met her in 2011, and I just didn't want to, I hid from her for a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then um, 2012 comes around, and she's like, oh, shows it. I was like, no, nah, I'm just embarrassed, because the fit's the fit. AEW doesn't exist yet. She's not going to watch New Japan, which I'd just recently gotten into. Then Punk and Brian had that match at Over the Limit. Oh, yeah. And I'm thinking it's so convincing, it's so good, it's so dramatic. That her very scientific, she's doing a PhD in microbiology mm. or something. <laughs> I don't even know what it is. It's so clever. But she's very, very rationally, logically minded. So she just doesn't, she can't get along with pro wrestling because it's naturally a contrived thing. And yeah. she'll, she'll say, oh, why are they running against the ropes? Why can't they just punch each other? Because it's not boxing, love. <laughs> but Suspension thought, of disbelief is hard. Yes, yeah, I get yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. So I thought, you know what? This one is so fun that I'm put my youngest to bed and then James stays up a little bit longer because he's older and he just takes a long while to go to sleep. So we have our tea and it's just the three of us downstairs and I thought, I'm not going to watch Horrible Histories tonight. No, I'm not going to watch Operation Ouch because I don't want to watch people's skin peel off when I'm eating. Yeah. So I thought, no, I'm not watching that. It's 15 minutes, including the entrances and the entrances like factor into the story of the match. So I have to watch it. Only 15 minutes of the gym. And uh, so 50 minutes of wrestling, come on, just I think you'll both find this fun because it's amazing. Mm. 
the takeaways are, right? James loves Shingo Takagi, right? He's like, who's that? <laughs> That's Shingo. No, no additional context, because if you say he's one of the best wrestlers in the world, you'll go, oh, I think he's great, because, you know, kids try and impress their dads, and it's very sweet. And he's just watching this whole match, and bear in mind, the Young Bucks are in it, Darby are in it, he's like, that Shingo is awesome. Yeah. And I was like, yes, he is. You, you, you like this, you're getting some good taste. You couldn't compute. I was like, Sting 63. He's three years older than Grandma. Imagine Grandma doing this. <laughs> that Add three it. years on to Grandma, <laughs> and this is how amazing it is. But because he got worked by Sting, because he's in the paint, and his role is measured so carefully that he just doesn't compute that. He doesn't get impressed that the 63-year-old's doing this, because he just doesn't really see him as a 63-year-old. He just sees him as Sting, which is magic. Mm. And I'm saying this to France. He doesn't even understand that he's 63, because the face paint and the way they're laying out the match and how good he is... Uh, do you not, you're not impressed by this, Francis? And she went, it's slapstick, isn't it? Oh. And I was like, God damn it, love. It's a comedy match. So they're obviously going to, you know. Yeah. It's like a bit of context on the backflip, back rape, uh, back rape. <laughs> they are, um, you know, they were told it was about monkeys, and they thought, you know what? It's good for our careers if we play the, the, the disrupting renegade types. We've got no respect for the old school. So the reason why they flip around just to do a back break is to take the piss out of people. It's like, you've lost us. Mm. And, uh, and so like they're doing like super kicks. And it was before the Sting no-sell spot, right? And um, like Darby's must go like, oh, like that. And Francis just laughs. He goes, oh, well, why are they going, oh. I was like, because that's, it hurts. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I know it's theatrical, but it's, it's, it's rest. Okay, you just don't like it, it's fine. <laughs> it's going off. And, and when she was like taking the mick out of them selling and going, ha, 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 you just missed the no-sell sing spot. <laughs> it's the best bit of the match. And James is going to love that. Basically, I'm never going to show a wrestling no. again. But I complete, it's one of those where it's like, don't show it to people who can't suspend the disbelief because... I didn't really have fun watching no. one of the most fun matches I've ever seen. No, I get it. And it's I, my fault. I know she doesn't like it. But I've been in that situation with other friends where I'm like, just, just watch this bit, actually. <laughs> and they're talking to me. You're missing the thing. It's so frustrating, but I should have known better. One day we'll learn. Not yet. Uh, Scorpio Sky and Wardlow backstage. There's a face-to-face between them, although they've agreed not to get physical in all this. Um, and Sky said, like, I'm the champ for a reason. Wardlow said, like, I don't care about you. Don't care about American top team. I'll beat everybody's ass. Uh, and I'm taking home that TNT title. And Scorpio Sky challenged him to a match next week for the title in a street fight. Let's be careful here because I don't want to preview it mm-hmm. because we do that on the preview, which you can listen to next week. So let's not do that. Um, but one thing I will say about the segment before I talk next week about how I think the match will go. So I continue to love this the way this segment is framed. And it's coming in a bit it's becoming rather a bit of a trademark on Dynamite, right? Um following a lot of criticism earlier earlier in the year about how oh god everything gets interrupted. Yeah. People are just milling about it's so contrived. I love legitimately I hope they keep doing this. They've got the two scheduled opponents They've agreed not to get physical, but we need to promote the match. So much better than an interruption. Please keep doing this. It's a really nice little tweak. Yeah, like talk about, people use it as a stick to beat AW sometimes, but you talk about real sports feel. How many times have you watched uh, an MMA or specifically a boxing press conference with two people who absolutely despise each other, who are sat there saying, on Saturday night, I'm going to knock your lights out, basically. 
But because they are temporarily gentlemen, they have agreed that they're not going to get physical. And sometimes, yes, it does spill over and maybe that's... And you don't get paid for hurting someone or potentially hurting no. your hand or getting beat up. You don't get paid for this. Exactly. I really like it. I think it's a lovely touch. And, like you say, with the preview next week, not only are we going to preview this, see the chance for another game. So that's to look forward to next week. Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies, I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. <laughs> <laughs> I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show yeah. is absolutely yeah. incredible. Or anime. Yeah, and under this sure. mask is another mask. <laughs> <laughs> you can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday, wherever you get your podcast, and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Before we go any further, though, this podcast is brought to you by Rocket Money. Do you ever feel like money is just flying out of your account and you've got no idea where it's going? Well, it's all those subscriptions. I mean, think about it. Between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it is endless. I'm guilty of this, so I used Rocket Money to help me find out what subscriptions I'm actually spending money on, and it was more shocking than a wrestling betrayal. You see, Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in cancelled subscriptions. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. That's rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. Rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. Now it was time for Max Caster and the Ash Boys to take on Danhausen and some mystery partners. And I thought, hmm, what on earth this is going to be? Max Caster, <laughs> Max Caster uh, comes out, cuts a promo, uh, calls Danhausen a juggalo, mocks Michigan's water. That's again as a liner. I'm like, ooh, careful. He's not very good at locating it. Hmm. Um, but it was revealed that Danhausen's mystery partners are FTR, which caused Michael Sidgwick what to happen in the crowd? A huge peppy. <laughs> Understandably. Um, they come out. Um, they start the match off. Uh, Cash Wheeler starts it off against uh, Austin Gunn. Danhausen comes in, but he uh, gets cut off by Gun Club and Caster, and they 
isolate him in the corner and beat him down through a commercial. When we come back, he finally escapes. He gets to Dax, who just, uh, along with uh, actually both members of FTR, rolling Germans to the gun club. Then Austin, I'm not sure exactly what happened here. I think Austin tries to reverse it into some sort of neck breaker. I don't know if there was just a... I don't know exactly what happened. It was the batch. Yeah. Um, So he breaks all that up. Dax brings in Danhausen. Uh, who comes in, hits a pump kick on Austin, sets up for the go-to-sleep. Billy Gunn's there, of course, with his boys. Uh, by, by his boys, I mean Max Castro and Anthony Bowens. Um, <laughs> he jumps up to distract the official, and up pops Anthony Bowens. It's a miracle he can watch, walk. He comes in with the crutch. Um, Dan Housen can't believe his eyes, but Dan Housen ducks, uh, and Bowens accidentally hits Austin. Danhausen covers him. One, two, three. FDR and Danhausen get the victory. Post match, there is sadly the tease of a breakup of this brilliant, weird stable. And Austin shoves Bowens, and they almost get into it. And Billy sides with the acclaimed rather than his own son. Yes, that's a funny bit. Um, I would describe this whole segment. And how it forms part of the first hour is a decent idea taken too far. I think the idea for the first hour was to not do anything serious. With the idea being that the use of contrast mm-hmm. with the way the show was um, laid out would really get over how violent, intense, grudge, emotion and all the rest of it mm-hmm. would feel in um, the Blood and Guts match. So in order to do that, I think Tony Khan has consciously decided to make the first hour a bit fluffy, light, irreverent. So it's like, oh, Jesus Christ, how much more serious does the serious business feel here? But in the end, I just thought it was a bit too wacky and house show-ish. I understand that every show needs range, and I love that about AEW, and I understand the ultimate purpose, but I would not have booked an Orange Cassidy and a Danhausen match on the same show. Yeah. I just wouldn't have done it. It was just getting a little bit too frivolous for my personal tastes. I'd have liked a different kind of range. Yes, the Cassidy match. Don't do Danhausen because I'm watching like a house show or an episode of Elevation here. Mm. Um, I would have put like just a really... Um, I would have done the fun with Orange Cassidy. I would have put like a just a state-of-the-art exhibition of... This is great wrestling because they should be popping a number for this. Mm-hmm. And I would put Phoenix in there, yes, as I said a million say. times, so we can do some awesome stuff on the ropes. Um, and then I would have done Blood and Guts. So you've got like three very different um, stylistic um, representations of what AEW can offer the as wrestling part of buffet. The buffet. So yeah, I was just a little bit bored of banter by this match. Um, by the time this one came around, there was some decent stuff in it. Dax Harwood is so good at being miserable and <laughs> fired up and miserable. Grumpy Uncle Dax, as he calls himself on Twitter, where I'm thinking, is, is he about to shoot on Austin Gunn? Because Austin Gunn was really good here working with, or hopefully with, um, Dax. And they looked like they really hated each other in this match. And I'm always impressed when I see that in modern pro wrestling. Um, so I did like their interactions. I did love the bone spot. Like It's one of those things where I was like, how do we not see it coming? Mm. But it's just... It's, I don't know, just, if you're not cynical about things, I guess it means you're into the story and you're just kind of lost in it and you're willing to suspend your disbelief. So that was all very good. Um, I just thought, what's the tone here? Mm. Too far. Stop dicking about. <laughs> I, uh, I'm very happy to see Anthony Bones back on his feet, so that's that's a good thing. And I'm also intrigued to see where this goes with Bully, uh, Bully? with uh, Billy Gunn's allegiances and what have you. 
But like you say, yeah, it seemed overkill on the show like this. I think you're right. Uh, we got a little video with Jay Lethal, Satnam Singh, and Sanjay Dutt cutting a promo on Samoa Joe. Uh, Death Before Dishonor is next month, of course, and uh, they're going to so batter him and take the title off him, and uh, Satnam says, Jay's going to kill you. It's gone longer than The Undertaker and Kane this feud. Yeah, it's been a while, hasn't it? I've got no interest in it at all. ROH, I wonder if Tony Khan genuinely has buyer's remorse. Quite clearly, he hasn't got a TV deal on the pipeline. A lot of people at this point are saying, if anything, that the addition of ROH in a sort of quasi-AEW canon has diluted the prestige of titles inadvertently by just having them on the show and detracting from the other titles. Um, and it just feels like, is it a waste of time? If anything, having ROH on the show is just something people don't care about. Feels like an intrusion. Um, the brand doesn't feel any hotter as it did when it barely existed before the purchase. I just think he's, he must have buyer's remorse remorse because this is a complete and utter waste of time. When's the Jonathan Gresham match? Well, that was that was was that on Forbidden Door? It got set up. Or was that on Rampage when he was like there with uh, Lee Moriarty yeah. and then Thingy comes in and maybe that'll be on Death Before Dishonor as well. I just remember that happening and suddenly, suddenly remembered. Oh, yeah. Anyway. TBS uh, Championship match. Very brief. This Jade Cargill versus uh, Layla Gray. Batter. Um, there was a tiny spot with a rising knee from Layla Gray, but it was a fallaway slam, uh, pump kick, and jaded, basically, from Jade Cargill for a very easy TBS Championship retention. Stokely Hathaway's going to cut a promo afterwards, but Jade grabs the mic. She's pissed off. She's... Tight of everyone in the back, bitching and moaning. She wants real competition, Stokely. Um, and he said, oh, yeah, see, look what happens. No, Only someone who's not even works for AEW actually cared enough to, to stand up. You know, we, itch, we issued the open challenge, which I think you and Andy Murray pointed out today was actually quite a clever touch of, like, yeah. it's very late in the day, like quarter to midnight, and then by midnight it had been made official. So... That's why you didn't get a response from Athena Cristal. I know that you got one here after you accused them being lazy. They run down, they attack. Um, Gray gets a word in her ear by Stokely Hathaway, and she gets involved to uh, break it all up. And eventually, um, Jay Cargill and her baddies stand tall, but uh, Layla's not getting the uh, not getting the handshake that she was hoping for here. Thoughts? Uh, I enjoyed this because um, I had the exact same expression on my face as Jade Cargill did. Yet another one of these was my initial thought when I was watching, when I was on social media, and I thought, um, all right, okay, here's what they're doing. For optics purposes, they have to get a women's match on the show. But because Blood and Guts, the whole presentation, is going to take up the entire second hour, I just have Jay Car Cargill squash. Incredibly redundant, um, very convenient vehicle to... A very convenient excuse to do a women's match, which they feel like they have to do once. They could actually do it twice. Mm -hmm. wanted, but they don't. And then Jade Cargill's acting in this, I genuinely thought was stunning. She seemed visibly upset that she'd demeaned herself in her own standards by just squashing this geek in like, what, 20 seconds or whatever it was. As soon as the bell rang for the finish, she looked legitimately upset, pissed off, almost embarrassed that she's pumping up a record um, padding her stats with just useless competition like this and I just thought her facial expressions at the end of this match were tremendous without any exposition or anything like that um, she just had the look of someone who was like I need to turn baby face and mm -hmm. start like believing in myself and start doing this with a bit of goddamn honour so I really enjoyed this 
unexpectedly. This guy here thinking it's going to open the show, though. Turn he's a lunatic. Two for two, me now, with the uh, timings bet. What was the timing? I don't know, but it was late in the first hour, and I remembered I'd said 36 minutes. There you go. Yeah, I did actually take a screenshot. It was a good 40, 45 minutes into this show, I'd say. Oh, and they announced, I'll just talk about this whilst you look that up. They announced Grand Slam is coming back in September. Very excited for that. Uh, coming our way from Arthur Ashe again. So a thank you to Adam Blair on Twitter. Who's Cheers, Adam. Taking a screenshot. It was 42 minutes and 52 seconds. So Hamlet wrong. What was this, five minutes? Five minutes, 38 <laughs> seconds. Drugs. I was wrong as well. 21 minutes, 53 seconds. And you were closest with 36 minutes flat. Still miles off, but I'll, win. I'll take the win by default, I don't mind. While we're shouting people out, actually, we really must put over um, a gentleman by the name of David Downs. Mm. He sent everyone at the What Culture Wrestling team an absolutely beautiful, heartfelt letter. Yes, thank and you, And we David. just want to say that we really appreciate that, so thank you. Yeah, it really means a lot. Thanks, to David, for that one. Uh, we got a uh, video from backstage with the Young Bucks and their new tag titles, of course. Uh, they're happy that they've got them, but they've got no mates because everyone's injured. Uh, they've got no one there. Um but they did point out that they have some competition. The Forbidden Door is still slightly ajar. Um, did they call him Goto here? Yoshihashi and Goto. Yes. They should know his name. They were in the same promotion with him for several years. Yeah. Um, Maybe it was just like one of their... You know, like Kyle O'Reilly's and Chris Jericho's shtick. Maybe it was a bit like that. Yeah, I think I don't so. think it was. <laughs> anyway, uh, they said... Uh, well, they teased a tag title match. But now I think it's uh, more of a total sort of eliminator. championship eliminator. Which will go down on Rampage. Which, of course, we will preview... Tomorrow, and then it was finally time for the entire second hour for Blood and Guts. Jim Ross came out to join commentary for this, as did uh, William Regal during uh, Claudio Castagnoli's entrance. First of all, I, I'm going to try... Well, I, I don't know the best way to do this, because I feel like if I talk about the whole thing, we'll miss some spots as we go back through it. So I might just keep throwing to you throughout. So first of all, thoughts on <laughs> Jericho Appreciation Society's outfits? I thought they were a stitch. Look, I understand the criticism. Why aren't you wearing white? They've already worn white at Anarchy in the Arena. And yes, it does show off the blood so much more, hence why they wore it in the first place. But I just think that if they wore it for a second time, look, the match is called Blood and Guts. Throughout the build, they literally said, people are going to bleed. I want to know what a coward's blood tastes like. But at the same time, maybe the Jericho Appreciation Society were going to win the second that the match beyond or whatever they're calling it started or the official start or whatever. It just feels like, yes, we're going to bleed, which just is a little bit showing the wires a bit. Mm -hmm. So I think they've had the alternative idea of why don't we look like complete dickheads, <laughs> just not in white, and that'll get the heat because we'll look like assholes who deserve to get our asses kicked. I did like... Always kicking assholes. Asses. I think it was Jericho, but it, but it probably also was, was Daddy Magic considering the bumps he took in this. <laughs> There's a bit with uh, the string vests with thumbtacks sticking out of every single... It looked right. I don't know, it made, it obviously, you know, you can't really plan for something yeah. like that in terms of the precise placement of it all, but I thought it looked absolutely great. But yeah, Gossie wearing a red do-rack as well at one point, I noticed, when he came in. I think so, yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, and then loads of people are bringing weapons with them, obviously. Uh, Kingston's come with his mate, Ken. Kendo stick. Um, Santana, uh, Santana's got a barbed wire bat. Uh, Ortiz has got great face paint, as he always has. 
Red Zone, it looked great. And it's, yeah, it's War Games rules, like we said. It's uh, staggered entrance, three minutes, right decision. Four. four minutes, sorry, right decision. I no, think no. they must have worked it. Yeah. Uh, and you can only win by, what was it? Submission, Submission. or surrender. Surrender, that's the word I was looking for. Uh, um, so uh, Guevara starts it off with uh, Claudio. Immediately hits some wild running uppercuts because, of course, he does. Um, beats him up. Guevara's like, I've had enough of this. Tries to not escape the cage, but escape away from him. Um, and he does that ridiculous thing where he bounces between, like, four different sets of ropes to get away from him. Claudio responds by uh, pulling him down and hitting a pop-up cutter in the end. <laughs> Great. Um, but uh, Guevara um, fights back. Oh, no, maybe Guevara actually hit the pop-up cutter. Tell a lie. Um, Claudio... Uh, gets him as he's celebrating, though. Goes for the big swing, but before he can really get going on it, in comes uh, the second member of the JS. So that was Daniel Garcia, and he cuts him off. That takes us to a commercial. When we come back, Wheeler Utah comes in and evens the odds and uh, just wrecks everyone with Germans. What a transformation he's had, by the way, Wheeler Utah. Yeah, absolutely. I love this new shtick. I think he realised, hang on, that got over massively. I got a standing ovation. Let's just do that. Yes, there's another really good spot that we'll get to involving uh, Garcia and Uter a little bit later on. Make sure I don't miss that. In comes Jake Hager. He slams Wheeler Uter. And uh, Claudio and Hager take everyone out with big throws. And then there's this, the moment between the two of them. Genuinely thought for a split second we were going to get a We The People. <laughs> but uh, thankfully, they just draw back and just start battering each other. Um, but again, because Jericho appreciates that I've got the man advantage, Garcia gets involved. They take over. They dominate. So... Who the Blackpool Combat Club sent in the interim AW champion, John Moxley, who comes in, explexes Guevara, takes out Garcia. Um, Claudio bulldogs Hager onto a chair, and Moxley pulls out a fork and just gigs Garcia's forehead. There was a great spot of Garcia, who I think it's fair to say is a hard bastard. Uh, there's a spot where he just, I think Moxley just finished stabbing him with a fork in the forehead, and it cut to Garcia. And he was just like, bloody hell, I wasn't yeah. ready for that. Something like that. Um, yeah, Garcia's got blood already. And that was not the not the, uh, not the the uh, last we'd see of something like that. Uh, Claudio beats Dan Guevara. Take on, he's watching this from, from ringside, of course. And Moxley and Utah hit a heart attack on Daniel Garcia, who, yeah, is really, really starting to spread some claret around the ring at this point. In comes uh, Cool Hand Ange. But as he comes in, he realizes, oh, Everyone in the Jericho appreciates that he's down and I've got these bastards looking back at me. So he tries to sort of keep away from them. He's well running like a scolded dog is the, is the phrase. Can I say one thing on this before you do the rest of the recap? Yeah, yeah, Otherwise yeah. I will forget. I really love this spot because it gets away from the kind of contrivance with war games where the heels have to win the advantage of the coin toss or the match that now functions to do that. And it can feel a little bit repetitive, particularly when it's going along. And it just feels like, all right, okay, well, the heels, yeah, okay. Blah, blah, blah. For them to do this particular spot was inspired because it didn't detract, it didn't, well, it wasn't a disgrace on a ring psychology level, mm -hmm. um, but it just made sense and just made the baby faces look even more like badasses. Yeah, you can't do this with, yeah, when the baby faces have the numbers advantage each time because it just looks like, oh, looks a bit unfair, really. Yeah, but absolutely. Because they've beaten everyone down yeah, so much. Yeah, it's just a really cool mm. tweak on how to make the format of a very, very, very long match, like, a bit different. So I thought that was inspired. And a great foil, yeah. um, Angelo, to be the guy to, like, it had to be one of the 2.0 guys. Yeah, they had some, the both of them had some incredible visuals in this match. When he was uh, hanging upside down later on. Yeah, I think. Blood pissing out of his the head. The most praise outside of the actual finish 
the most praise I've seen in this match was directed towards those in fair play because they were phenomenal in yeah. it. Uh, so when they finally catch up to uh, Cool Hand Ange, Claudio hits him with a gut-wrench suplex. But all this has allowed the uh, rest of the Jericho Appreciation side to recover, and they get involved with weapons. Hager hits Claudio's ankle with a chair, for example. Uh, Ortiz comes in. He runs wild. Um, I like the fact that normally, I mean, they did recap it when we came back, but you and I obviously watch it on fight and get to watch stuff. What happens when they... Uh, normally, the general consensus is when it goes to a break put like a chin lock yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. Or you just do something that no one needs to, you know, it, the crowd is still entertained, but nothing's happened. Not John Moxley. He hit a pile driver uh, onto the broken glass on Daddy Magic. Yeah. Busting him, understandably, wide open at this point. And when we come back, uh, that, uh, oh no, he did it, sorry, he did it on Cool Hand Ange, I believe. Um, but um, Daddy Magic came in at the end, after the break, and they recapped what had happened. And he starts swinging a chair around. Moxley's been cut open as well, or has reopened the cut from from the weekend. Um, crowd want tables. Really? You're not going off going on already? And uh, and uh, and uh. Uh, in comes Santana. This was a bit of tinged with disappointment. He comes in, he brings in a table and his barbed wire bat. Runs wild. But as he goes to hit a Uranagi, I can't remember who it was on. Might have been, might have been Guevara, but I can't remember. Goes to Uranagi, and I think his leg gave out, and he's got a legit injury because we didn't see him for the rest of this match or, indeed, at the end as they celebrated because I was looking at the top going, one, two, three, someone's missing here. And it was Santana, of course. Um, so we wish him well in his uh, his leg injury. We'll update you on that as, we, as and when we know um, what, what the severity of that is. So to uh, take the attention away from that, Moxley decided to... This was the bit, yeah, he was thinking, oh, he definitely did something, Moxley, to uh, Daddy Magic and made him bust wide open. Yeah, he stabbed skewers into his forehead. Yeah, Good God. Um, thankfully, Daddy Magic didn't sit there for too long. He low-blowed him. Uh, and this was the moment I said I was needing to mention where in between the two rings, whilst all this is going on, and I'm going to let you make your point that you told me about earlier, whilst all this is going on, they're like, oh, hey, everyone, look over there. And it's Wheelie Uta and Daniel Gossier just slapping the shit out of each other. <laughs> slapping fuck out of each other. You loved this, didn't you? Yeah, it was awesome. It was awesome. What I loved about this, um, and again, I might not remember, because I'm basically going to do like a five-minute stream of consciousness rant, yeah. or praise, or just talk about this match when you do the recap. What I loved about this match is that I loved missing things. Mm. And I know people think, oh, it's a production hiccup, but it's not really... Um, well, it isn't, it isn't. It's impossible to capture everything that's going on. But the fact that so much stuff is going on just makes it all feel real, feel elusive, glues me to the screen. They just had this absolute hockey fight where they were blasting each other right in the face. And then... Oh, Someone must be cutting, like Cesaro was about to do some incredible feat of power on Hager, of all people, the biggest guy in the match. So let's cut to that, and it just felt chaotic. Like, there were mm. so many awesome things happening at once. Um, I just love the idea that they the, the, the match is literally so sprawling in its awesomeness that not everything can be captured at once. It was just true chaos, not contrived. It's your turn to do something. It's your turn to do something. It's your turn to do something. I'd rather miss cool stuff than have cool stuff ordered in a certain way where it's like, oh, he's waiting for the camera to point at you yeah. sort of thing. Yeah, I completely agree. There's nothing worse in a rumble or in a blood feud match, even more so, than a bit where it just looks like eight guys, you know, four in each, uh, two in each corner, are just like kneeling on someone else's, kneeling on the other's chest just so we can go, boom, choreograph move there, choreograph yeah. move there, look here, look there, yeah, right, yeah. this camera, this camera, it's just, yeah, 
that was so good because I in, in my head I can't I'm not rewatched it but in my head yeah they're focusing on Claudio and then it's like slightly out of focus in the background they go wait look over there and then suddenly you just like they're just doing what they did I really like that spot Jericho comes in though uh, accompanied by Floyd the Bat of course but him and Ortiz straight away get into it Ortiz hit him with a DDT and goes after him with a chair load of big moves Cesaro of course Claudio runs wild. I think that's a bit of JR there. Yeah. Um, Jericho cuts him off, though, hits a code breaker. Kingston comes in. Oh, my God. This is my favorite bit of the match. Kingston comes in, and I've got to give a shout-out. I think it was Nicholas. It might have been you. I apologize if I got this wrong. Nicholas described him as Steven Seagal-esque when he came in. <laughs> yes. And was just like... Bloop, with the kendo stick, bloop, and then just people just bumping all over the place for it. Because all he's got is eyes for Chris Jericho, of course. Um, he beats up the rest of the Jericho appreciation side with those shots from this kendo stick. Uh, Jericho tries to escape, but gets cornered by him and just wails on him with that. He goes to use uh, rubbing alcohol that he's brought with him, but he gets cut off. I think it falls to the outside because later on, take on, he was pushing it back through the, uh, through the cage so that... The camera lingered on that for far too long. Yeah. It's like there's literally so much going on. Don't concentrate on something going a little bit awry. I said this before, though. I said this when he fought Mox. You know, I, I wouldn't want to take anything. I wouldn't want to take a, a flipping back bump in a wrestling ring. But to a certain extent, wrestling fans, especially, you know, you and I watch this sort of thing on a daily basis, are desensitized. You know, even, you know, occasionally you'll rewatch. You know, hardcore Holly just slicing his back wide open. You're like, bloody hell, that's bad. Yeah. But a lot of the time, not to dismiss it, but a lot of the time when someone is bleeding, like how, you know, sometimes they just, there's a little bit of a cut and they just make the most of it. And you're like, eh. Yeah. That spot in the Moxley Kingston match where they got the alcohol and just sprayed it on, I think it was Mox's back. Yeah. That was more visceral for me than 20 kendo stick shots or whatever it may it's like be. like the Lego in um, yes. Arcade Anarchy. Worse than a thumbtack, almost. Or Absolutely. just the same, because it's like, I've actually stepped on one before. I think everyone has. Mm. And uh, that was used later on. I think Jericho used it on Moxley. Like he was, It's like Moxley just... Moxley being Moxley, he's got the blood all over his face, and he sort of wipes his face clean. But we've all been there. Yeah. When, especially, actually, even arguably more... More visceral now after the pandemic because we've all done that thing where you've got like a tiny cut on your hand and you go to use the rubbing alcohol to yeah. like clean your hands. You're like, oh, like that's that's yeah. enough for me. So I think I can relate to Cody, you know, having a torn peck and working hell in a cell basically because I've done that. Yeah, basically yeah. the they same. Did, did, yeah. Uh, Bible combat Glover in control. They power bomb Hager through a table in the middle. Uh, Santana, yeah, has has been basically taken out of this match. Uta and Moxie though pull out bags of thumbtacks. I think you get them once you join the Blackpool Combat Club. It's like an honorary thing. Yeah. Um, and on the other side, Ortiz and Claudio pull up the the ring mat and expose the wooden boards. Uh, Moxie suplexes. Um, Daddy Magic onto the tax. This was the bit with all of them just sticking out of his back in every sp- possible spot in the string vest. Um, and that's also when Cool Hanand is just strung up, blood falling down his face into his eyes and what have you. Uh, we go to a break with Blackpool Combat Club completely in control. When we come back, Kingston and Jericho are going at it again. And uh, Jericho scampers away and manages to grab himself a fire extinguisher to get just get away from me, basically. And that's when Tay Conti jumps the official and uh, opens the door to the uh, to the sinister structure. Uh, when Ruby Soho, who was also, I should mention, involved in the vignette setting up this match, came out and they brawled. 
quite like to see more take on versus Ruby Soho stuff. Yeah, it's a really nice. A bit, a bit, it was very actually deft. Yeah, uh, Jericho uh, obviously sees this as an opportunity to just get away from this madman, Eddie Kingston. Climbs to the top of it. Kingston obviously goes after him. Uh, Jericho turns around. He's sort of begging off and gets hit with the spinning back fist. Guevara, though, comes up top and, uh, and stops Kingston's attack on Jericho. Then uh, Kingston hit Guevara with a low blow, and to make up for what happened last year, Guevara takes this insane bump off the top of the cell through a table-like structure, is the only way I can describe it. It was too big to be just one table, but a big, you know, we all know what what this is, but it was certainly less preposterous as last year um, to just, yeah, Guevara's obviously out of the match at that point. Uh, We go to a break with, yeah, bodies strewn everywhere, when we come back, Jericho has got Kingston, or he's putting Kingston, in the walls on top of the structure. But thankfully, who should come to save him but his arch nemesis, Claudio Castagnoli. He come and boots Jericho. He uh, hits Jericho with a giant swing, which my arse went a little bit there. Oh, my God, I... Because I was like, I trust him. I trust, I trust him with my life. So close to the edge. But, yeah, as he's swinging, like, the momentum there, if there's a lot of sweat, blood, you know, everything... Let go. He's going to fall off the top. But, but yeah, it's Claudio, so you know it's going to be fine. Spivs in the big swing there. Uh, goes to the sharpshooter, but Daddy Magic comes to make this save. Cuts him off. But it's Kingston and Jericho. It's Claudio and Daddy Magic. And Kingston's got Jericho in the stretch plum. He can't go anywhere. He's wrenching at the arm. He's finally going to get that submission. The surrender from Chris Jericho. The bell rings, but it's not Jericho submitted. Daddy Magic has tapped out to a sharpshooter from Claudio. So, on the one hand, great. You've got the victory. You've defeated the Jericho Appreciation Society. But I thought um, I thought Eddie Kingston sold it brilliantly of, like, I'm happy. But it's not the conclusion that I wanted. Um, and he, There's a little fist bump there, but it's it's very forced between him and him and Claudio. Um but they all celebrate, or who's left, obviously Santana's injured, all of Blackpool Combat Club go up on top of the cell and celebrate. They stand tall. They are the winners of Blood and Guts. Yeah, I've got loads and loads of thoughts on this. I'll try and keep them tight. Uh, generally, as I mentioned earlier, I just love the chaos. Um, the fact that even if something's awesome going on, not everything grinds to a halt. The match is so much better. It's more immersive. It feels more real. It feels more wild. If there's loads of stuff going on, it's the one time that the almost, I would describe it as involuntary Kevin Dunn production is excusable. He's not cutting between four different cameras for a body slam in a singles match. Mm -hmm. It's like, there's something going on here. There's something also going on here. It's this sensory overload of awesome violence happening everywhere that cannot literally be controlled or organized or even captured that's mm. how wild it is I, I love that element um of the match it was gloriously messy by design and yeah. it's quite hard to do that so i did lo- love that element of it there were certain individual moments in this match that i thought were absolutely tremendous um jericho sort of scraping mocks around when he had sort of he hadn't turned over <laughs> like a, a wrench yeah like mopping him up with the pins that was awesome um mm. Yuta uh, and Garcia's fight was awesome. The same bits that everyone else liked, really. Daddy Magic was great, just pissing blood out of his face. Cool Hand Ange doing sort of a weird tribute to the age of the fall 
um, controversial spot in Ring of Honor. There was much to love about this match, but I've got problems with like quite a lot of it as well. Um, basically, if I was on the star rating scale, I'd probably go four flat, mm-hmm. where it's like, this has got the ceiling of five. Very easy ceiling of five. Not easy, you have to bleed yourself out to get there, but you know what I mean. It just, just feels like a flawed concept. Yeah. Ultimately, I think the very blueprints for this match are flawed. I tweeted something to this effect. The mega fans are going to have to forgive me, sorry. There's dead space, which both, which prohibits two things. The way that the, the cage is lowered, there's like a weird foot of space between the ring apron and um, the cage wall. Mm-hmm. Nothing can be done in this space. It's dead, redundant space. It's not like the Hell in a Cell where you can go between the cage wall and the ring and do some spots there. It's an outlet for creativity, that gap. This isn't. It's just a foot where you can't do anything. And because that gap exists, right, this this thing's far too big, I I think, Um, in terms of the height of it as well. I, I understand that this is kind of an antiquated thing at this point, and... There were other spots that were in the ring that are cooler than the old War Games 92 spots where they're just throwing the heels against this mesh and the whole thing rocks and they're staggering backwards, right? But that's a that's cool. Yeah. It's the splat of going into a cage <laughs> is eternally satisfying, much like a table bump. The way that this is physically built, the Blood and Guts cage, means that's impossible because you can't just... If you watch, when they're getting thrown into the cage, they're kind of like... They're not going gung-ho face into it, bumping backwards onto their backs. They're sort of like crunching themselves up. They're already turning, aren't they? Oh, yeah, like sort of turning and sort of not really committing to that bump because what could happen is that either they really jam their leg. We saw it with Danielson. Mm, that's a good point. They get stuck and they're unable to do the next sequence and what if one thing falls apart, the whole thing could fall apart. Mm. They did lucky not to quite fall apart with Santana's injury. So they could hurt themselves. They could look like idiots in a match where the baby faces in particular can't look like idiots and look like they're out for blood and revenge in a serious match. And it just... Have the wall of the cage aligned perfectly with the ring apron. Like War Games Goddamn 1992, which has never been bettered, right? Which makes you think, could this be modernized? Can this be modernized? Yeah. Should it be modernized? Yeah. If they're going to do it, should they not just do it like that? Maybe with the roof off. So I didn't like that. Um, it just feels like they are carefully avoiding getting hurt. Understandably, when the join, the thrill should be, just whack them off the cage, whack them off the cage, or don't do the spots using the cage if they're kind of bumping like they're in the old elimination chamber almost. But if you do that, why have a cage? Yeah, You know what I mean? It's just that there's a fundamental flaw with the actual physical design of the thing. I didn't... I. My eyes rolled hard into my head when Jericho first started climbing the cage. So I was like, right, okay, what you're doing by doing this is you're having a big sort of capital M moment. And I usually just want to describe WWE with that cynicism. Yeah. The capital M moment of doing something on the roof of the cage because 1998, no one can ever forget it ever in any wrestling promotion. So they do that. They're trying to, as you would, draw out the suspense, tease out the suspense, make the moment register, and I know I you know, say that AEW doesn't do that enough, but on this thing, they did it too much. By having Eddie and Jericho on top here, it's a big cinematic moment. The camera 
focuses on them too, right? And they are teasing out the suspense as they should, and they're staring at each other. And then they do the forearm exchange. Then they do some more stuff. And all the while this is going on, I'm thinking, what's going on in the ring? And I'm thinking, Same. I shouldn't be thinking. I'm thinking, how long have they been up there? What's going on underneath? How fake must this selling be? I wish that they had just once, midway through this exchange, when they realized, hang on, this is going on for a while, go to your best sellers um, in the ring because people hadn't, some people hadn't even been in the match that long and just concentrate on, just do a single shot of everyone dead. Everyone's dead. <laughs> no point in filming this. There's some action going on up here. Because otherwise you're thinking it's that whole thing of multi-man matches and in triple threats where, oh, they're selling way longer than they ever would had they been in a singles match and they've taken that combination of moves in that order. You're interim world champion in there. Yeah. yeah they I are agree. literally only selling in a triple threat match or a three-way because they have to accommodate the action in the ring. And they're doing multi-man spots later, but you can't do it for 20 minutes or whatever. And I'm just thinking they're selling for too long. I'm being taken away from this. I'm feeling removed from the, the tone, the feeling, because I'm just wondering, like, are you really selling for that long? It's all very contrived, and it begins to feel fake, and this is compounded by the fact that they're on top of the cage, which itself is a problem. Just be very a maximalist match when it didn't need to be. Like, be more minimal about it. Just go back to 1992. It was the best one. <laughs> and then Sammy Gvar does his bump, and I'm not so desensitized or callous where I'm thinking... Jesus Christ, he's taken an absolute massive risk here. They've timed the bump perfectly. And it sits, this bump, between the Jericho disaster last year, which was a production hiccup and not anything on Jericho, just to cl clarify that again. So it sits somewhere between the Jericho bump last year and Mankind at 1998, um, King of the Ring, where my immediate thought, not feeling, thought watching the Sammy Guevara bump was, wow, Jesus Christ, that was some bump. That was from some height. And then you look at the... Um, the timekeeper's table, which is suspiciously enlarged by <laughs> about three times. Yeah. So you think, right, okay, it's fake. Because, one, they need a bigger surface area to capture him. Two, they need to put some kind of inflatable underneath. They've obscured it so much better. Lessons were learned. Yes. But I'm analyzing the quality of a bump, and I'm at no point am I scared for Sammy Guevara's life. Do I want to be scared for Sammy Guevara's life? Should they have not done a crash pad to make it look more like 1998 King of the Ring? No, not suggesting that either. Basically, you shouldn't do it. Yeah. <laughs> if you can't replicate the feeling of mankind, and you can only allow fans to think, oh, that's incredibly contrived, but it's an impressive version of contrived, simply don't do it. Simply don't do it. You could have done the same finish with... And the four last bodies, Kingston, Claudio, Jericho, Daddy Magic. You could do that in a ring each. Kingston and Cesaro are facing away from each other because they can't stand to look at each other. Meanwhile, every other person in the ring is selling and you get to see it and you think, all right, okay, I can believe it because they all look knackered, right? And you could do the same finish. The actual finish itself was so deft, so incredible. Oh. And it's like, it's almost... So when you're as long-term or as hefty or, or whatever as the Page Omega thing. But it's similar in that each character has completely understandable motivations and he can kind of sympathize with both. 
Claudio ultimately wants to make good on whatever the problem that Eddie Kingston has with him. He wants to go up and save him because he knows he's in trouble up there, right? He also wants to win the match because Eddie Kingston has to be happy with that sort of thing. So Claudio isn't in the wrong. He's not trying to steal the glory here. He just wants to help Eddie, and he wants his team to win. But by doing so, mm-hmm. he deprives Kingston of the retribution for getting his face melted off by this arsehole Chris Jericho. He can't do wrong for doing right. And yeah. it's all wonderful, and it's just such an inspired finish. And ultimately, the finish is so good, um, even though without the slapping on the mat, it didn't really scan to the audience. Um, it's this, ah, oh, moment. But ultimately, it shouldn't have happened on top of the cage. That The ringside apparatus onto which Guevara fell was just clearly fake. Looking a better fake than last year, but still fake. And I just was made to think about the the mechanisms of the match underneath rather than feeling the moment on top of the cage. Stop going on top of the cage. Stop going on top of the cage. Maybe don't do it again next year, but it'll happen every year now. And, uh, yeah, change the, the actual physical structure of the cage. There are so many things wrong and right with AEW's approach to blood and guts um, that ultimately I can never, and I don't think anyone that I take seriously was 100% happy with this unqualified no. success. That simply wasn't the match it was. Yeah, I think LTST. So no, much of it was awesome. Four stars, that's a good LTST. score. LTST, what's the phrase I'm looking for? TLDR, that's the one yeah. I was looking for. I think your your phrase of like, a great, a great match, a great main event, great blood and guts, but a flawed concept is is the perfect summation of it all. Yeah. But let us know your thoughts uh, on Dynamite last night and on Bloody Guts, of course, uh, on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. Well, actually, you can follow both of us. You can follow Michael Sidgwick at... M. Sidgwick. You can follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at WhatCultureWWE. And make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts, including, of course, the Rampage preview with me and Sidge tomorrow as well. But for now, this has been the AEW Dynamite review. My thanks to Michael Sidgwick. Thank you for joining us. And we will see you soon. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com records.